Hey guys, and welcome. I'm Life Coach Meg Ellis. It's time for you to stop coasting through life, and it's time for you to find your purpose. It's time for you to create your fate. Want to go to Greece together? No, seriously. How about the spring of 2023? That's right. My favorite yogi, Jose Portillo, and I are back. We are hosting our first international yoga wellness life coaching retreat in Greece. And you can pre-register to be one of the first people to apply. We are only taking 10 people and I would love for you to be one of them. So to stay in the know, visit www.letscreateyourfate.com and get on that list to apply. See you in Greece. So it's me, my parents, both crying at the table at the Cheesecake Factory because I've just come out to them as bisexual. And um, I just want to share a story with y'all today. I don't really actually even have any notes on this or anything. I just kind of want to talk because um, last year, at the age of 35, I came out to my very religious, very conservative parents um, of all places at the Cheesecake Factory, which was attached to the mall. And um, I wanted to share this combo with you because you guys are really important to me. And I recently um, got interviewed on another podcast about being bisexual. And I realized, you know, I've been out in my community for a little while. And I, I realized I have not officially shared this story with you. And I just wanted to share a little bit about myself. It's um, coming into, you know, 2023 here. And I just feel like this is the perfect time to do this. So, um, you know, this is definitely one of the hardest conversations that I've ever had in my entire life. And I, it goes so much deeper into it than just, you know, coming out to my parents, which is huge. And like I said, one of the most difficult conversations that I've ever had. But I I wanted to share this story because this is not something that I ever would have been able to do if I hadn't really spent time getting to know myself, really getting to spend time uh, loving myself, right? Uh, Because what happened was... um, And it's so funny, even just looking back to, you know, life before this moment, just being filled with so much fear and even just analyzing how I made my decisions and now seeing life afterwards and how I I carry myself and handle myself. And I've really just never felt more like myself. And this is a feeling that I think everybody should be able to experience And it doesn't have to be, you know, coming out to your parents for this. But I I want to share my story to see if it might inspire you to um, make a decision for yourself, whatever it might be, to where you can live your absolute best life ever. Right. I felt a little a little bit like a hypocrite coaching people to literally live their best life ever and me not sharing a a part of my life with very important people in my life, my my parents, right? And I I kind of felt like just like a fake. And it it just seemed like it was very out of alignment with my authenticity. And it's not the message that I I wanted to hide anymore, you know? And, And that only came with being really, really sure 
of who I am. And, you know, there's, there's a lot that comes into this, you know, um, my, my dad's sitting across the, the table from me at the, the Cheesecake Factory, my mom, and I had gone home to Pittsburgh. I go home about once a year and I knew, and I had already verbally committed to lots of people that, Hey, I'm going to go home and do this. And, you know, we're, we're sitting there at this Cheesecake Factory table and the waitress keeps like asking us if we want cake and more bread. <laughs> and the answer is yes to both of those, but not right now. And, um, you know, I, I had never really imagined this moment before and I kept getting, you know, we're about an hour and a half into lunch. And I still haven't even worked up, like, how am I going to tell this, this to my parents? And it kind of just came back to, it was like, y'all know what I do, right? And so I, I want to loop in how, how being conscious of who you are, how living a conscious life uh, can help you, how the, how the Enneagram helped me, right? And I all, I linked that into um, the story, you know, how I, I started telling my parents about me. Um, but to give, to give you a little backstory, if you are a new listener or uh, don't know me on a personal level, uh, I'm going to share a little bit about myself, which I, I typically don't like to do. I don't know if it's a Scorpio thing or my uh, wing eight of my Enneagram thing, but um, I I've, have had always been in heterosexual relationships and I actually got married in 2014 to a, a man. And um, what sparked this whole thing was this kind of moment here, because on this podcast that I had interviewed for, they they asked me, you know, they were just very curious about what is it like as a bisexual woman and especially one who's been married. And they asked me, hey, did you know you were bisexual when you got married? And the answer is uh, inherently, yes, I did. Um, I had my first sexual experience with a girl whenever I was very, very young, and it was just something that felt different to me. You know, you, you don't know what it is, but you just know it's something. And um, however, it was not something that I was willing to acknowledge. So inherently, yes, um, outward, no because it's not something that I invited myself to explore yet. And it's funny because I, I coach a lot of females and the more I've been open about this, the more people keep sharing similar stories. So I figured, well, why not just make a podcast episode out of this too? So, you know, back to my, um, my marriage, I, uh, I was still very involved with the church and I am not knocking the church at all. Um, I will say I was, I was a little deep in the sauce and uh, that's fine if it, if it resonates with you. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing for me. It just didn't feel right. And I had never really explored who I was outside of a bigger, you know, mold. Um, and I realized that I had spent a lot of my childhood, a lot of my young adult life, in fear-based decisions, right? And that was very, very familiar to me to not do something out of fear, right? Fear of you're going to go to hell. This is wrong. You can't do this, right? And and that's not what religion is. So I, I think it can be a beautiful thing. For me, I didn't have that um, great experience 
that I know it can be. So I was just very fear-based into thinking a certain way. I had grown up in Pittsburgh. I went to college in Pittsburgh. I never left Pittsburgh. Right? I became a dental hygienist at the age of 20. And that was it. And I had experienced some trauma when I was 23, um, a traumatic death of the person I thought I was going to marry. And I had planned out that whole life. And I never dealt with that trauma. And in, um, and that's, that's a whole other podcast episode. But I was just very much not myself. First of all, I, I was never really invited to be myself fully. It was, hey, you can be um, yourself under this umbrella of, of what is good, right? And then dealing with trauma when, or I guess not dealing with trauma um, when you're in your early 20s, that doesn't really help you understand yourself anymore, right? It just kind of puts it off even further because you don't want to deal with anything because it's too painful. And um, I came into this, you know, relationship with the, the guy I married and it was, uh, it was safe. It was secure. It was what I wanted at the time. And it was fun, right? It was fun to get married. Everybody else was getting married. This was like the height of Pinterest. You know, I had a very Pinteresty wed- wedding uh, at a winery in Napa of all places. It was beautiful. Um, it really was. And everything was fun. It was exciting. We were moving to Texas. We might be moving all over the world for his job. It was just very fun. And it was also just very secure. And that's what I latched onto. And I will go deeper into this um, in another podcast. But, you know, we moved to Texas. And actually, we moved to Kansas for um, about a year before. But I had never left Pittsburgh before. And I have not changed so much in my entire life since I moved from Pittsburgh because you're exposed to things, even if they're that, not that much different, you're just exposed to different things, right? It challenged me. I didn't have my crutch of this is what I do on Sunday mornings. This is what I do. Um, you know, these are my friends. These are the places that I go to. You get out of this unconscious rut and you have to, you have to, to do something, right? You have to be adaptable. And it wasn't until then, until I moved to Texas and I got a new job as a dental hygienist. I, um, my husband and I bought a house. It, it wasn't until then that I really started challenging my thoughts, right? I started meeting different people because honestly, up until that point, I was very much brainwashed into thinking that homosexuality was bad and it was a sin and it was wrong. And I, I never really gave much thought to it. And I'm honestly ashamed to, to say that. Um, but it was also not something that I was ever really exposed to because all my friends were straight. All my friends were, you know, most of them were church friends, like my longtime friends. Um, they were all very much one way because that's all I was ever exposed to. And it wasn't until after I moved when I started seeing how different life could be, right? And it wasn't just with um, homosexuality, you know, heterosexual relationships. It was with everything. It was with, wait a minute, I don't want to work this nine to five forever. Um, It was, wait a minute, I don't think I love the person who I'm married to. Like, how did I get here? And I have this moment where um, 
I was like a very much, how did I get here moment, right? A lot of my friends um, were, were gay or lesbian or bisexual, and I got to know them more, right? I, and they actually helped me discover a lot about myself. And I just got out of this, this loop of what I knew, right, of, okay, um, you have to get married, you have to grow up, you have to have kids, you have to buy a house, buy a picket fence, get the dog. Um, no regrets on getting the dog. I absolutely love him. <laughs> but you have to work in this nine to five for 40 years and then you die. Right. And I didn't like that narrative. And I didn't know that I could write my own narrative until I saw other people doing that. And I was like, oh, this this is really interesting. Um, you know, I don't think I'm happy in my own life. Right. And that was the first part of it is, is the awareness of it. Right. You have to become conscious of it. And I'm not going to get too much into this. Uh, again, this could be a whole other podcast, and I actually am writing a book about all of this. But I was aware very, very quickly that I was not meant to be married to the person who I married. And I didn't know what to do with that, right? I also grew up with this um, brainwashed thought of divorce is bad, divorce is bad, divorce is bad. You know, my, my sister had actually gotten divorced. She was in this very um, abusive relationship. Uh, my brother had actually gotten divorced. He had gotten very married married very quickly. Uh, it was a military situation. Um, but they, they both had been divorced, and it was not viewed in the most positive light in my family, obviously, with my sister and the abusive relationship. It was. But... You know, here I am, unhappily married, thousands of miles away from my family, and I'm alone in this aspect. I didn't want to tell anybody that I was unhappy, and I didn't want to tell anybody that I I didn't want to be married anymore. I didn't want to tell anybody that, you know, I, I had kind of been opening myself up to what I actually did want for my life. Hey, I don't want to be married anymore. I I don't want to work in a nine to five anymore. And these feelings that I know I've had for a really long time that I stuffed down and didn't want to identify with, they're coming back. (laughs) And, um, you know, it affected my, my relationship with my husband. Obviously, you know, we didn't have sex for years. And, uh, that's not to say that I didn't want to, but I I didn't want to with him. I, I didn't want to, um, with guys sometimes, you know, and I allowed myself to, um, to entertain an idea of a female relationship or a female relationship experience. And, you know, it's, it's just coming into accepting yourself, I think is the first part of beginning to love yourself, right? You can't deny yourself, you know, and I did for a long time. I denied the fact that I'm attracted to females, I denied the fact that I didn't want to be married anymore, right? And whenever you deny yourself from who you are and what is meant for you, you are, first of all, never going to live out the purpose that you are here for, but also you are not going to be happy. I was miserable, absolutely miserable. And, um, you know, when I got divorced, I... I actually had told about two friends. I fell off the face of the earth. Um, I'm typically pretty good with keeping in touch with long-term and long-distance friends, but I fell off, and I I, I had told two friends. 
one had recently gone through, she got married a year before me and then ended up, she was going through a divorce. So she got divorced a year before I did. Um, but she was the only person who I really felt comfortable with along uh, with my other best friend who I, I just knew was a 1000%, you know, safe space. And, you know, I, I did not handle that the right way. I was separated before I even told my parents. And I had friends being like, hey, where have you been? We haven't talked to you in six months. We haven't talked to you in a year. Are you mad at me? And I had to call them and have very difficult conversations um, of like, well, this is what's been going on, right? So I ended up getting divorced and... Um, I told my, when I called my mom, I told her, I said, Hey, this is what's been going on. This is what's already done. We've already legally separated. Um, you know, that was not really well received conversation. And it, uh, we had gone through periods of time where we've had this really rocky up and down relationship. And we didn't talk for, a long time. We didn't have a, a really good relationship for years. We would go, you know, a year or so without talking. We couldn't even be in like the same room. It was awkward. The tension, you know, the family split kind of, you know, my side versus her side kind of thing. And it was just a very bad relationship, bad spot to be in. And I didn't like that, but that's all I knew, right? Again, this is how I handled my problems. And so, you know, I end up, um, I actually got divorced and quit my nine to five dental hygiene job in the same month. And I started, you know, full-time fitness. I was teaching cycling and training people how to be cycle instructors at the time. And that was my dream. I was like, oh my gosh, like I moved from suburbia down to um, the the city and I started my my brand new life, right? And I'm not going to lie, I went a little crazy. (laughs) There There was a lot. It was a lot. And, you know, I I did these back-to-back, you know, rebound relationships for a little while. And I realized, oh, my gosh, I can't be alone. And then, again, you know, getting consciousness of this, I realized, okay, this is really not who I want to be still, right? I'm taking steps, I think, in the right direction, Um, but really still kind of not really aligned with myself. And, And I'm not joking you. When I tell you that the Enneagram changed my life, um, it changed my life, which is why I'm so dedicated to it and to, to dedicating my life to coaching and using it as a tool to help people because I have gone through uh, this crazy transformation, living this very brainwashed, coasting, zombie, unconscious life, and it's just fucking miserable. It's fucking miserable. And I am so glad that I got out of that and I want to help other people do the same thing because the beauty on the other side of fear, you can't touch it. It is beautiful. It's unparalleled when you are truly living a life that is for you and that uh, is aligned for you and aligned with your purpose. I'm telling you, nothing else compares to it. And I just think if the world had more people like that, it would be a lot better, right? But anyway, I'm I'm digressing a little bit. Um, This is why I normally write down my notes because I tend to be long-winded and can go off on tangents. I'm an Enneagram 7. So if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, um, 
It's a personality typing system. It's rooted in personal development, rooted in spiritual growth of why you do things, right? So I'm online. I was dating this guy at the time, actually. um, And it was like a BuzzFeed thing that popped up on Instagram. Like, what's your Harry Potter house? And the next one was like, what's your Instagram or your uh, Enneagram? And I was like, what's that? So I took it. Then he took it. And... It was the most fucking spot on thing that I have ever, ever read about myself. This thing knew me, this like BuzzFeed Enneagram test knew me better than I knew myself. And I knew myself for, you know, 30 something years at that point. Right. I think it was 30, 31. And it's telling me why I do things. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is it. And it stems from your core fear and your core desire. And my core fear is I don't like to be trapped in pain, right? That is my core fear. And yes, nobody, most people don't like to be trapped in pain. But for a seven, it's your core fear. It's the worst of the worst. And I, it starts to list out basically how this resonates in your life, right? If I started a project and got to a difficult part, I wouldn't finish it. So I would have 15 projects and never get anywhere, right? If I had a, a some type of conflict with a friend, I wouldn't want to confront them because, ooh, that conversation is, it's really trapped in pain. I don't like that. And I would ignore the person, right? If I didn't want to, and I start looking back at my life, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have been living my life running from being trapped in pain because my core desire is to be fulfilled, right? So a lot of things that were really bad for me, especially during that trauma, you know, overcoming that, or I guess ignoring it, um, I ignored, right? Like everything's fine. I'm, I'm fine. There's no problem here because I didn't want to face that pain. Right. And when, that's why I didn't tell my mom that I was getting divorced until I absolutely fucking had to, because I didn't want to be trapped in pain. And, um, the ironic thing is you create the exact opposite of what you are trying to create when you, um, avoid things. So, um, I think we all, you know, knew where that went. I, after I had that conversation with my mom, it did not end well. But, you know, let's fast forward. I, I discovered the Enneagram and I just, it was the first time that I felt that I could use a tool to get to know me that wasn't related to, well, this is good. This is bad. Um, you have to go by this book. You have to go by this, this measure of morality um, it was just, this is just who you are. And it really welcomed me into my essence. So, um, you know, it's just really discovering yourself. You're never going to discover yourself if you stay in the same place forever. If you do the same things forever until you start to discover, Hey, do I actually like doing this? Yes. Okay. I do. Then keep doing it. Do I actually like this? No. Then stop doing it. And then figuring out, um, what what you like, who you are, what's important to you. I had a lot of values growing up that are simply just not important to me anymore. And I have so many values now that are so important to me that I never even thought twice of growing up. And allowing yourself to be different, allowing yourself to change, right? It's, it's that acceptance, but it, then it's also this, this curiosity of, hey, who am I? And really loving that. And learning to love it and being okay with change. And so, um, you know, I, I'm 
coming into this Enneagram thing, um, it made a lot of sense. I ended up breaking up with this guy. And fast forward, I, I going to SoulCycle, I'm moving to New York. And this is the first time I had ever verbalized uh, that I liked a girl. And I actually had a, a crush on my friend who was, from what I knew, straight. And I, I voiced it as my, the same friend who, um, who was one of the two people who knew about my divorce. She was uh, in New York. She lived there. And she was the, what, the first person who I said, hey, I think I might like girls, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> so she's known a lot about me. She's like my go-to. So shout out, Christine. Um, you're the best. But I didn't know what to do with it. But that's, that's the point. Like, I didn't have to know. Right. I had gotten to know myself so much to, to at least to the extent of being like, hey, I'm I'm OK trying to figure this out. Right. I don't have to know all the answers. So, you know, I'm I was very much welcomed in the community that I was in by the friends who I was around then at that point in time to explore. It was not judgmental at all. All this all these preconceived thoughts that were driven by fear that wasn't real, that everybody was going to abandon me if I changed. Um, it, it didn't exist, right? The people who were for me stuck with me. And so I ended up, it took me a year, but I did tell my friend that I liked her and we ended up actually um, dating for a while. And that relationship did not pan out. Um, at that time, neither one of us were ready. Um, we have told a couple friends. I told my sisters that... I was bisexual, but I hadn't told my parents yet. It was just like this very gray area of, okay, this feels right. It feels good for me, but I'm not ready to share it with the world, right? And it's this this kind of like weird area. And I don't even know, um, I don't have any advice on how to navigate that, but just continue to explore it. Like there's no, there's no handbook, there's no manual for okay, like, how do I do this? And you just have to continue to follow even just one step at a time of, hey, what feels right for me? And so, you know, I'm, I'm contemplating telling my parents, and I'm 33, 34 at the time. And I, I'm, I'm 34. I, I haven't been financially dependent on my parents in years I don't even live in the same state. I have been married and divorced. <laughs> and I was just so strapped to the fear that that this was not going to be well-received information. I swear, I, I thought they were going to kick me out of my family. Um, I thought they were going to, you know, send a message to the church Facebook group begging people to pray the gay away. Like, that's literally what I thought in my head. And I was so strapped to this fear. And it took me another year, another two years, actually, to be able to share this information with them. Um, I, you know, had had really gone into this really deep in the, into the Enneagram. Obviously, I coach it now really into consciousness. And I'm trying to get these beliefs out of my head that I don't want in there anymore. These self-limiting beliefs. And I'm starting to navigate what they are and... Uh, I'm getting into the law of attraction, right? And I start, you know, my thing is expect good things. And I realized, oh my gosh, I am not expecting good things here. I am really creating, before it even exists, this terrible outcome that um, 
that hasn't even been created yet, right? Me telling my parents and them disowning me. And I was putting all this negative energy on it. And I was being really judgmental to my parents when they hadn't even done it yet, right? And so I started, you know, kind of really taking this energy in and and trying to uh, reframe it, right? And um, I end up... I do a bunch of different things. I do energy healing. I do Tara, I do Reiki, all the things. But I ended up, um, my friend had been wanting me to go see this hand analysis lady. It's not a palm reader. She analyzes your fingerprints. And I finally said, okay, let's do it. Um, I'm going home to Pittsburgh next week. Let's do it before I go home. I had already committed verbally to friends and some close, um, close people in my life. Hey, I go home once a year. I... I'm starting to become more vocal about being bisexual so I can support and stand up for the community and be a role model that's actually um, not who can actually stand in their own and not be afraid and unapologetic about who you are. Right. Um, I'm committing to this. I also I see my parents once a year. I do not want to have to have a phone call. They deserve a conversation. I deserve to have a conversation and I deserve not to be afraid of it. You know, and so I I know this is coming and I had been a little tense, you know, for the weeks leading up to it. But again, very supported in my community and in my friendships. And and honestly, if you are one of those people, please just know how much you helped me. Um, You really, really did. So thank you. Um, So anyway, I go get my hand analyzed with uh, my friend. And it's so funny because she had been wanting me to do this forever and perfect timing, right? It always, it's always perfect timing. So, um, I go get your, you know, she's looking at your hands and your fingerprints and all the lines on them and stuff. And you're part of one of these schools and the school is, you know, there's different lessons. Basically, what is your life lesson to learn on earth? You know, when your soul's here and whatnot, but, um, so she's, she's telling me my, my lesson, I'm in the school of love, but it's not just any love. It's unconditional love. That is my lifelong lesson. And I'm like, can you please look again? Like I am the most non-judgmental person ever. I love everybody. I accept everybody. Unconditional love is not a problem for me. Look again, lady. Right. And she goes, oh, no, 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 no. You're really good at giving unconditional love, but you are not good at receiving it. And when she said that, I was like, oh, my God, that's it. And she's telling me about and everything that she was saying was just so in line with my Enneagram. I was like, oh, my God, this shit is like it actually is like real. It's real. Look at my fingerprints more, lady. Come on. I'm, I'm like in the, I'm in it now. Like I'm invested. She's like telling me how. I fear unconditional love, right? I fear it. And she's literally like explaining all these things to me. And I'm like running my whole life back of, oh my gosh, yes. Where I have zero boundaries with people. And I know I've voiced it on this podcast before. Boundaries is definitely something that I'm overcoming. And I've always been working on, and I'm actually really proud of myself for what I've been able to do in the last uh, couple months and in the last year or two. But I have zero boundaries. Why? Because I want people to love me. 
So I will go above and beyond. I will exhaust all of my boundaries to make the other person comfortable. But at the same time, I have major barriers. Hey, because I don't want you to see the real me because you might not like it, right? And you, it doesn't end there. It's like you have so many barriers and you're so fearful of, of things not working out and, and this not being loved essentially that I actually go above and beyond and I fix things. I'm not a helper, but I am a fixer. I will fix anything for you. You come to, I mean, I'm a life coach. You come to me with a problem. I'm going to try and fix it with you. Like, honestly, my friends have to be like, Hey, can you just be a friend and like, let me bitch right now. And I'm like, okay. Oh, it's my automatic nature to want to fix things. Why? Because if I fix it, then I don't have to confront it. Right. So I, I would go above and beyond my capacity to fix things that didn't even exist yet because if I did that, then they would never, I would never have to deal with them later if it did happen. And that's a terrible way to live life. And it actually had cost me a lot of relationships once I realized, oh, this is what I'm doing, right? And she goes in, she's telling me all these things about my boundaries, my barriers. I'm like, yep, 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 yep. And it all stems from my fear of abandonment and rejection. And, you know, it was a really rude awakening for me where I was like, wow, I am literally living my life running from the chance that I'm not going to be unconditionally loved because that sounds really painful. And again, (laughs) you create the exact opposite of what you are trying to achieve when you avoid it. And so, you know, I, I was protecting myself, um, But really, I wasn't. I was creating the exact opposite. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is true. Like, my like, I I hate when I can't fix something. Right. Because that means ugh, and I would run around trying to avoid being trapped in pain. So let me just fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. And I'm just patching things right and left. So, you know, I'm taking this like paper home with me that all has like my whole life on it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And my. And I was like, you know what? This makes sense because my number one pet peeve is unidentified ticking noises. (laughs) And like, I don't know why I've said that for years, like unidentified ticking noises. That is my biggest pet peeve because I can't fix it. And so, you know, the next day um, I'm I'm at home. It's a Monday. I'm working from my bed with my dog. And I I don't know if you all know this, but I, I live with my friend Lacey. She's been on the podcast a couple of times and we have a house and she's gone and uh, I'm just sitting there in my bed and I'm already kind of like hot on high edge because um, I've just been read to filth by the hand lady. And I know what I'm about to go do when I, when I go home to Pittsburgh. And so one of the smoke detectors started going off in my house and I hate that. I mean, an identified ticking noise that you can't fix is even worse than an unidentified ticking noise, right? So I hate that. I, I'm texting Lacey. I'm like, hey, can you pick up a battery on your way home? Um, I'm going to take this battery out. And I live in a three-story townhouse. And so, like, I can't figure out where it's coming from. I've got really high ceilings. I'm, like, losing, like, literally about to lose my shit here, Um because I can't figure out the, where this beeping is coming from. So I'm like, go downstairs, grab the ladder, r- like bring the ladder up the steps, 
fix this smoke detector and it's still beeping. And then I like go and get the next one and then it's still beeping. So I get the next one and then I'm like going up to the third floor with this ladder, like getting so mad. I'm like so like fucking mad at this. Like I'm losing my shit. And like I'm yelling at my dog. He's like, I don't like this beeping either, lady, but like you're getting a little crazy right now. And I'm like, literally, I took out, I think it was like 12 or 13 smoke detector batteries. Like, I wasted, like, an hour instead of, like, Lacey's on her way home. Like, she can just bring me a battery. And she's actually calls and she's like, hey, I actually think there's one in the drawer. There was. Um, but I'm, like, literally running around trying to fix this one tiny noise. And it ended up with me changing out, like, 13 batteries. Now there's, like, 13 beeps going on. And I'm, like, sweating, carrying this ladder up three flights of stairs, yelling at my dog, so mad. And I was like, oh, my God. This is how I live my life. This is how I've been living my life. Like over fixating on things because I'm so like, I didn't even want to listen to one beep. So I overfixed it and got all like hot and bothered about it. And now there's like 13 beeps everywhere because apparently there's something called hardwiring and I don't know what that is. But, um, you know, 13 beeps are going off. I swear, I swear on like on my life. I had this realization. I was like, oh my God, this is how I live my life. I try and overfixate everything. The beeping stopped. And I'm not lying. It stopped. Lacey came home. She's like, I thought, the, I thought it was going off. And I was like, you're never going to believe this. It stopped beeping. My life lesson. I can tell my parents. And um, so anyway, I go home and um, I strategically, you know, I, I did wait until the last day. Because my sister was there with her kids. I wanted to just have fun with the family. I didn't want that to be like the, the main topic of the, the whole week. I wanted to, us to enjoy our time together. Because again, I was not um, I was not expecting it to go well, right? I had been really working on like, okay, I'm really trying to expect good things here. But it was really hard for me. And I was just, I was worried. So I created this little bit of a, like a backup plan of like, okay, I'm going to tell him on the last day and I'm going to stay with my friend that night just in case, you know? And so fast forward, I'm at the cheesecake factory with my parents and like, we're, we're going like on and on about all this other stuff. And I literally had said, Hey mom, dad, on my last day here, can you go to lunch with me? Just me. And I didn't want anybody else there. And I chose a restaurant because I wanted to be in a public place. Because, again, I'm talking myself into this major hype of how, how shit's about to go down. And so, you know, I couldn't even come up with, like, I'm like how, how am I going to, like, tell my parents this? Like, we've been here for an hour and a half and we're talking about, like, just the surface level stuff, right? And... So, you know, I actually I went to the bathroom and I was like, okay, coming back, I'm going to do this. So I sat down. I was like, I've already committed to so many people. Uh, they're like, they're going to ask me how this went and I'm going to tell them that I did it. So I come back from the t- you know the bathroom and I'm sitting down and I said, y'all know what I do, right? And my dad's like, you know, yeah, you help people in offices get to know each other's personalities. So... Um, they don't get mad at each other or something like that. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, kind of, um, you know, kind of like that, but you know, it's not necessarily because he was like, you know, that's a little crazy to me though, because now I don't have to know my own personality. I have to know everybody else's too. And I'm like, well, yeah, 
I agree with you. So, you know, rather than it is helpful to understand other people's personalities, but it's really helpful to understand your own. Like not why is this person talking to me this way? It's why am I receiving it this way? So, um, I kind of just got into, you know, I'm, I'm going off on this tangent and, and I'm rambling and I'm just like, you know, the Enneagram really helped me. And I realized that I have been, you know, avoiding confrontation my entire life because I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to be like rejected and, and, and abandoned. And I've been avoiding pain and I go into all these things about the Enneagram and how it helped me really uncover like who I was and how I discovered consciousness of like, oh, these are the behaviors that are resonating because of these self-limiting beliefs that I didn't even know were there. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't make me happy that when I got divorced, I didn't tell you until afterwards. I don't like that, but I don't want to do that again. I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't want to stay in that unconscious state of just like, I don't want to keep living that same lesson. I want to learn it. So I don't have to run from confrontation anymore. And, you know, I'm just going in and, and recounting all these parts of my life that I, I don't like and I don't want to do anymore. And then I'm like, they're kind of just like looking at me like, what are you talking about? And like, I think they kind of knew where I was going with this because, you know, I'm crying and they're crying. And I brought up the hand lady. I was like, and then I saw this hand lady. And I'm like, you know, and she tells me all these things, you know, and then I tell them the smoke detector story about how I'm like running around like a crazy person. And I realize, oh my gosh, this is how I'm living my life. And I go back to the hand lady and I'm like, you know, she tells me when she mentioned that I was fearful of conditional love, like that hit, you know, that hit hard. And I said, you know, I don't want, I can't fix this anymore. And that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to fix something that didn't exist. I was trying to fix my parents potentially not loving me anymore because I told them that I was bisexual. And I told them, I don't want my fear of not being unconditionally loved, not give you the opportunity to unconditionally love me. And I was like, you know, I got to tell you something because the smoke detectors are just getting really, really loud and I cannot fix this. And, you know, I, I told them that I was bisexual and I had been in a relationship with a woman and that I liked it and I wasn't sorry for it. And I, I didn't think it was wrong. And this is who I am. And I really owned myself, my whole self. I, I accepted it. I love myself. I love myself so much that it is okay if, if you don't. And, you know, they, they handled it much better than I had thought. Um, it's not perfect. Uh, I honestly think it probably would have been a little easier just to say I was like a straight, like lesbian. My dad couldn't really grasp like the concept of both, but I understand that, you know, it's a different generation and different time. And, um, you know, there was a couple comments about religion and, and handling that moving forward. And I was actually really proud of myself and the boundaries that I was able to, to establish in that conversation and from then out. 
And I'm telling you, it was just like a weight, a huge weight lifted off of my shoulders. And I was like, you know what? You know, because my mom brought up like, hey, I don't know how we're going to be able to deal with this in the future because it's, you know, our truth is it is against our religion. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to fix that. Right. It's not my job to fix it. I cannot fix anything any longer. Right. I, I And. And that was that was a beautiful moment where it was like, I am respecting my boundaries. I am not creating these barriers because I want you to see me for me. And. Uh, honestly, I kind of felt like I stepped out of this dimension for a little bit. Like I was just out of it. I felt like I got hit by a bus. And, you know, it was weird because the next day um, I, I flew home. And, I, you know, I, my, I mean, my parents, they, they said, I love you. Like, we're always going to love you. Like, my parents drove me to my friend's house, you know. And uh, they actually came to visit me a couple months later. And I, I thought... They weren't going to do that. And so all these things, all these things that I had made up in my head and allowed to be in there and take up all this space because of fear, they just weren't true. And I'm very lucky in that situation. Um, I'm very lucky to have a very supportive community, friend space, chosen family. And I'm, I'm lucky to have um, the, the reaction from my family members uh, that they have had. And you know, even having that conversation, I'm telling you, like this huge weight lifted off of my shoulders and all these, it was just really weird because the next day I flew home and I, I always sit in the window seat. That's like my thing. And the, you know, it was like a three hour flight home or something and I had to get up and, and use the bathroom. Um, and so I, I tapped the lady next to me on the shoulder to get up and use the bathroom. I was like, oh, that's weird. Normally I would have crippling anxiety on tapping somebody on the shoulder and inconveniencing them to get up and go to the bathroom. And then I was like, you know, walking to the bathroom and I'm like, oh, that's weird. I normally have this weird anxiety that, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to stand there awkwardly, again, trapped in pain, (laughs) uh, if somebody's in the bathroom, gone. Walking back to my seat thinking I'm going to miss my row and having crippling anxiety over, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to turn back around and everybody's going to see me that I missed my seat. Gone. Right? I came home and I, you know, I had overscheduled myself that day. I was exhausted from everything. I canceled a meeting. Like, no, like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I have to cancel this meeting. I was like, hey, I've overextended myself. I'm traveling. Like, we're going to reschedule this meeting. Like where normally I would have this anxiety of like, oh my gosh, I have to fix their problem. Right? I had a very difficult conversation later that day uh, in regards to something career-wise where I was like, whoa, who am I showing up right now? Like, what? I thought like normally like I, I didn't realize how freeing it was to, to not try and fix people's problems. And I had the most difficult conversation that to date I've had in my entire life. And everything else just kind of seemed like cake. Um, we're going to begin to to wrap this up and and thank you for listening to my story. You know, I, I wanted to share this story to really help inspire you to really show up as yourself, right? Um, I know it's so overstated, but to thine own self be true. Like there is so much power in that statement and it gets so over, overdone. Um, 
But I, I just want to tell you that whoever you are, wherever you are in life, wherever you are in the world, you are meant to be exactly who you are meant to be. Um, and I don't like to use the word need a lot, but the world needs you as you. Otherwise, you are not going to fulfill your journey here. Right? It is a lesson. We all come down here to experience lessons. And until you learn the lesson, you will keep living them. So if you are in this loop, this spiral, this cycle, hey, it is your responsibility to, to get out. And you can do that by going in. Get to know yourself, understand yourself, accept yourself, and ultimately learn to love yourself. And when you show up loving yourself so damn much, that is when you can fulfill your journey here. And um, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, once again, thank you for, for listening to my story. Thank you for the support. Um, and I'll leave you the way I leave you all the time. You know, I do believe that you can create your life. You can create your fate. And even though it may be hard as hell sometimes, trust me, it still works. Expect good things and they will happen.